You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken from Philippians 3, verse 4b to 9. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And then come the words of our text, the verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our text this afternoon is about knowing, not knowing about. Knowing and knowing about. Is there a difference between the two? Well, that can easily be illustrated that there is a difference with the two baptismal couples. Before you, Paul and Leslie, and Burke and Marianne had children, Paul and Burke, you didn't know what fathering was all about, being a father. You only knew about being a father. Perhaps you read about it in a book. You had seen your own father do it. And it's the same with uh, Marianne and Leslie. You didn't really know what being a mother was. You only knew about being a mother. And I'm sure you had heard some good things about that, great things. And so here you sit, and you have three children, and Burke and Marianne have two children. And both of you now not only know about being father and mother, you also know what being father and mother is like. The one is a sort of a head knowledge. The other is a heart knowledge. 
The latter is an experiential knowledge. You, you just know what it is to be a father and a mother because you are and you do it. Fathering and mothering, that is. And uh, for the younger ones among us, we can illustrate the same idea with, for instance, uh, going to school and then once you go to school, uh, when you were younger, you heard about going to school. Maybe your older brother or sister told you about it. Maybe you saw something about it on television. And uh, so you knew something about going to school. But now that you go to school yourself, now, now you know what going to school is about. You know it deep in your heart. You experience the joys and perhaps some of the sorrows, the challenges and the struggles of going to school. Paul, the human author of our text, also knew about something and someone. He knew about Jesus, and he knew about people of the way, Christians. And it didn't really cause him much joy. In fact, it filled him with horror, what he knew about Jesus and the Christians. He considered Jesus to have been a blasphemer because Jesus had considered himself to be equal with God. And therefore, he also considered the people of the way, the Christians who who followed Jesus, to be just as blasphemous as well because they were following and worshipping someone who had been crucified as a blasphemer. And he also knew about Jesus, that Jesus was always upsetting the apple cart. Kind of like a revolutionary. He was always challenging the tradition of the Jews. He even claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. Imagine that. And if anything was more sacred for a Jew than it was the traditions, the food laws, circumcision, and the Sabbath, and the temple, for instance. And the followers of Jesus viewed the Jewish tradition in the same way. And this was Paul's knowledge about Jesus and the Christian way. And so he persecuted the Christians with great zeal. And someone once defined the word zeal as being a person of one thing. You could say a person with a one-tracked mind. It's got just one mission and one goal in life. 
And he puts all his energy, all his thoughts into that one thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. He became a zealous persecutor of the church. But God had other plans for Paul, still called Saul at that time. Even while Saul or Paul was still in his mother's womb, Paul writes himself that God had already set him apart and chosen him to become a Christian. What is more, God had set him apart in his mother's womb to become a preacher of the gospel. And that with the same zeal as with which he had been or was at that time still persecuting the Christian church. God had set him apart and chosen him to be a man with a one-tracked mind. A man of one thing. And that one thing was Jesus first and Jesus last. His life was going to be all Jesus. To know Jesus and to make Jesus known. To embrace Jesus and to be embraced by Jesus. And to have others embrace Jesus as well. And so God, more precisely the Lord Jesus Christ, revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus Road. And you're familiar with the story. I don't have to remind you of that. And Paul was humbled. By the grace of God, Paul became a Christian. And then later on, Christ revealed himself again to Paul. He writes about it in Galatians 1. More precisely, our text there says that Christ revealed himself in Paul. So that you understand a little bit about what Paul later writes, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ revealed himself in Paul. And when Christ did that, he revealed the gospel to Paul. This evening you may want to read Galatians 1. And there Paul clearly says that the gospel that he preaches, he did not get from human beings. He didn't get out of theological seminary. He also didn't get it from the heavyweights, the theological heavyweights in Jerusalem, people like Peter and James. Paul got the gospel straight from Jesus. He revealed the gospel to Paul. And wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall, to have listened to what Jesus actually told Paul about what the gospel was. Well, if we reconstruct a little bit 
from what we read in the Gospels and the Epistles, we can find out what Jesus told Paul. And it has everything to do with that little word, finished, that Jesus uttered on Good Friday. Remember that? It is finished. And if you trace that little word, it is finished, through the Gospels, you'll find it, for instance, in John 4 as well, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the Samaritan well, and he says to her that it is his food to do the will of his heavenly Father and to finish the work for which his Father has sent him. Notice that. It is Jesus' food, and we can add his drink, to finish the work for which the Father has sent him. Well, what is that work that Jesus has come to finish? If a minister or an office bearer elder or deacon, gets ordained, then you can say about that minister or an elder or a deacon that what happened at that ordination was an indication of the work that that minister or elder or deacon has to do. You're ordained to a certain task. And that happened to Jesus too when he was when he was baptized, and he talks about that when he visits the synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth. He talks about his ordination, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me or ordained me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, release to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the Father's work that Jesus had come to do. The acceptable year of the Lord. Another word for that is the Feast of Jubilee, every 50th year. And if you were living in Israel at that time, you would love the year of Jubilee. Because then if you owed someone money, then all of a sudden you didn't owe anybody any money anymore. That was just written off. And if you had sold yourself to become a slave because of debts, and the 50th year rolled along, all of a sudden you found yourself to be a free person, just like that. And all of these Jewish rites in the Old Testament are little earthly pictures of heavenly realities. And so the acceptable year of the Lord or the Feast of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, is also an earthly picture of a heavenly reality. And that heavenly reality 
is the kingdom of heaven. The work that Jesus had come to do on behalf of the Father and that he had come to finish was to establish the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. And that kingdom of heaven is nothing less than a new creation. In Genesis 1, you read, in the beginning, God created, or in the beginning was God. And in John 1, we read, in the beginning was the Word. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to put the two together. Whereas the Father created in the beginning, and creation fell into ruins because of mankind's fall into sin, so the Lord Jesus Christ had come to recreate God's fallen creation. And this new creation is a transformation of God's old creation. As Jesus made very clear at the wedding feast of Cana with his first miracle. Right at the outset, his first miracle pointed to the work that he had come to finish. Just as he transformed water into wine and restored the joy at the wedding feast. So Jesus had come to transform God's old, broken, dilapidated creation into a new creation and restore the joy of God in this new creation of God, this transformed creation of God. And for human beings to be able to to enjoy the joy of that transformed creation, they have to be born again, as the baptismal form also said. Taran and Ben, they have to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Unless you are born from above or born again, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? You won't even see the kingdom, he says. And Jesus continues to talk about this work in chapter 4 of John. You can can just go through all of John like that. John 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and so forth. In John 4, he continues to talk about that work with that woman at the Samaritan well, and he says, you know, whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never thirst again. Because the water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up on the inside. It's like you're going to have an artesian well in your soul. And that reminds you of those four rivers in paradise watering the Garden of Eden. And it reminds you of that one river in Revelation 22 that runs straight from the throne of God right down the center of the street of the great city, the New Jerusalem. Rivers of water on the inside in your soul. 
this new creation, this transformation of God's old creation is paradise regained. Your life is going to blossom and flourish because the tree of life is on either side of that river in Revelation 22. And so when Jesus on Good Friday said, It is finished. You have to hear all of that in what he said. He had come to preach, to proclaim good news. And so when he said it is finished, he's saying, Father, my work as a prophet is finished. I've told them what the kingdom of heaven is all about. I've shared the good news with them. And then when Jesus, he also said it is finished, you have to hear what he said about granting liberation to the captives. Captivity from the guilt of sin, for instance. You have to hear that in that as well. And so, Father, I've not only finished my work as a prophet, I've also finished my work As a priest, I have borne your wrath against the sin of the whole human race. There's freedom for the captives now. Freedom of the guilt of their sin. And then, of course, you have to hear what Jesus did as a king. He's always opposing the devil. Always fighting the devil. Always casting out demons. And in Colossians 2, he says, or Paul writes, that when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, he disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them. Father, my work as a prophet is finished. My work as a priest is finished. My work as a king is finished. I have bruised the head of the devil. I have mortally wounded him. There is freedom now for all those who are oppressed by the power of the devil. All those who are held captive in the clutches of the devil. There is freedom for them now. I have established the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. And Jesus said that on the sixth day, on Friday, Good Friday. No, that's not a mistake. That was day six, according to the Jewish calendar. And you know what? If you check in Genesis 2, verse 1, You read this about creation. After day six, or on day six, it says, When God had finished his work of creating, God rested. Finished. The Greek translation of the Old Testament has the same word. God finished his work of creation on day six. And so many thousand years later, on day six, 
the Son cries out, It is finished. My work of recreation, my work of ushering in paradise restored, is finished. And whereas God said in Genesis, the writer writes, and God saw all what he had made and he said it was very good. Without wanting to speculate, I think the Father said in heaven, when he heard the Son cry out, it is finished on day six, it is very good. And on Easter Sunday, Jesus arose from the dead as the first fruit of God's new creation, as the first fruit of the life of paradise. Why, we can say that on Easter Sunday, the Lord Jesus Christ arose as the embodiment, as the personification of God's new creation of the life of paradise, so that when you believe into Jesus, rivers of living water begin to bubble up in your life and flow from your life. Jesus comes to live in your soul as water, as life, as new creation. This is the gospel that Jesus revealed in Paul. Paul was so captivated by this. Paul thought this was so exciting, so wonderful, that he writes to the Colossians, he says, I strive with all of his energy that is within me, that is, all of Jesus' energy that is within me, to make the gospel known. Namely, what is the gospel? He says there, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's that hope of glory? That's a new heaven and a new earth. But now already you have the beginning of that when Christ lives in your soul. Through faith, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he writes to the Galatians who were who were backsliding from that gospel. And he says to them, Oh, how I am in the pains of childbirth. Yeah, no pun intended. You know what that's like. How I am in the pains of childbirth till Christ is formed in you. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. That's what Jesus told Paul. Jesus said, you know what the gospel is? I'm going to form myself, my life, in the life of the congregation. I'm going to form myself in the hearts and souls of people who all place their trust in me alone. And Paul, Paul, he knew the power of that gospel. He writes to the Romans, for instance, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. 
It is a power unto salvation. Paul knew about that. And he knew it. Here we come back to our little beginning. He didn't just know about this. He knew it. He writes about that in our text. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And those are not two different things. Those are one and the same. That's like saying, I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. He already knows that, but he can't get enough of that. He wants to know more of Christ in the power of His resurrection. He feels the power of the resurrected Savior surging through his veins. Christ in him, the hope of glory, the first fruits, the down payment of the new heaven and the new earth. How is that possible? How can Christ live in your soul when he lives in heaven? How is that possible? Jesus is in heaven with his physical body. So how can he live in your soul? Here's where the analogy of the baby comes in very handy. Leslie and Marianne, this baby started to grow in your womb. Taryn and little Ben started to grow. And there was an umbilical cord connecting you to Taryn and to Ben. And your life, your nourishment, went through the umbilical cord into little Ben, into little Taryn, just like that. And that's a little metaphor of what it's like when Paul says, Christ in us. Jesus is in heaven. And the umbilical cord is, as it were, the Holy Spirit who is present everywhere. And the umbilical cord connects us to Jesus as the head of the church, as the first fruits of God's new creation, in whom there are rivers of life, in whom there is a fullness of salvation. And as we place our trust, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that umbilical cord opens up and we receive spiritual nourishment out of the body of Jesus. Really, out of the body of Jesus. Just like we confess at the Lord's Supper, Let us not cling to the outward symbols of bread and wine, but let us lift our hearts on high where Christ Jesus is, seated at the right hand of his heavenly Father. And let us not doubt. There's the clincher. Let us not doubt that we shall certainly be nourished and fed by the Holy Spirit of Jesus, just as certainly as we eat the bread and drink the wine in remembrance of Him. You place your faith in Jesus and the umbilical cord of the Holy Spirit goes open.
And Jesus fills you out of his fullness. And you know what you discover then? Then you discover just how connected you are to Jesus. Just like little Taryn and little Ben, if they could talk about it later, they'd say, yeah, I I really was connected to my mom inside the womb. But you know what I mean. You discover just how connected you are to Jesus. And you find out that you share in the same fellowship of love that Jesus has with the Father. Like, the Father's always loving Jesus. And Jesus is always loving the Father. And through the umbilical cord of the Holy Spirit, you are taken up into that fellowship of love in the Trinity. And that changes you. It changes your mind. You get the mind of Christ then. Because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that comes right through the umbilical cord of the Holy Spirit. And you begin to think differently. You begin to think like Jesus. And that sharing in Jesus' fellowship of love with the Father, it changes your affections. You begin to experience an incredible joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that you never experienced before. You may have read about it. You may have known about it. But now you begin to know it as Jesus' own kindness, His own goodness, His own peace comes through the umbilical cord of the Holy Spirit right into your soul. And you begin to love like Jesus loves. And sharing in Jesus' fellowship with the Holy Spirit changes your will. Jesus said, It is my food to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You begin to say that too. Your will increasingly lines up more and more with the will of Jesus, whose will is perfectly lined up with the will of the Father. And then you know no greater desire, not just know about, but you know, you experience no greater desire than to do the will of Jesus. You say, take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord today. Take my gold and my silver and my body. Take everything I have and let it be one big offering to you. But you know, it gets even nicer. It gets even nicer when the resurrected life of Jesus comes flowing through the umbilical cord of the Holy Spirit into your soul. You not only share in Jesus' fellowship of love with the Father, you also share in His ministry of love from the Father. You begin to have a story to tell. Just like you, Burke and, and Paul, 
now that you know about what being father is all about, you can tell others. You have a story to tell. And Leslie and Marianne as well, you know what being mother is all about. You can talk about it. And you share that with others. So being umbilically connected to Jesus through the Spirit, you begin to share in Jesus' ministry of love. And you begin to become a prophet. This is, this is Lord's Day 12. This is catechism stuff. Just like he was a prophet. You begin to become a prophet. And you begin to proclaim good news to the poor. And you offer your life as a living sacrifice for other people, just like Jesus did. You become a little priest, just like Christ. If he laid down his life for others, we must lay down our lives for others too. 1 John 3.15, One is John 3.16, the other is 1 John 3.16. And you, you begin to become a little king. Just like Jesus. You share in Jesus' ministry, which Jesus is still sharing, still doing in this world through his Holy Spirit. You are taken up into that ministry and you begin to fight against the devil, who in principle has already been defeated. And you begin to fight for justice, moral justice. And you begin to fight the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh in your own life. And in the lives of others. All because you are umbilically connected to the resurrected and glorified Christ through the Holy Spirit. And you know, this power for Paul is so great. He considers everything else to be insignificant compared to the the joy of knowing Christ in the power of his resurrection. He's a man of, of one thing. He's got a one-tracked mind and he just wants to know more and more of Christ and the power of his resurrection. He hungers for this power like a newborn babe is hungering for the pure spiritual milk. I don't know if Taryn cries when he needs to be fed. I think Ben does sometimes. I'm sure Taryn does too. You know, these babies, they hunger. They hunger for that milk. You know why? Because they know it. They know what, what's in it. Yeah, not technically, but, but they know how good it is. They know it's their lifeline. And so Paul, Paul is hungering like a newborn babe for the pure spiritual milk of Jesus in the power of his resurrection. Why? Because he wants to grow. He wants to grow up in the salvation. He wants to grow up into Christ and become more and more like Christ in the power of his resurrection. And you know, he's never weaned. A Christian is never weaned. Your other two children are weaned. And one day, I'm sure Taryn will be weaned. Same with Ben. Paul's never weaned. He's never loose from Christ. 
He can never walk on his own two feet, so to speak, without Christ. Because he knows that without Christ, he can do nothing. He knows that without Christ, there is no life in him, no spiritual life. He knows that without being umbilically connected to Jesus Christ, he's a spiritual corpse. And so he's never weaned. He keeps going back to Christ, keeps crying for Christ, as it were, keeps hungering for Christ, for that pure spiritual milk. It's his lifeline. And then not only with regard to Jesus and the power of his resurrection, also with regard to sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' suffering. And that's the other side of the coin. We rise to a new life with Christ and we die to our old life. And when Paul says, I want to share in the fellowship of Jesus' suffering, becoming like him in his death, he's saying, I want to deny myself. I want to continue to say no to my sinful impulses. And I want to take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. And Paul knows that that is very difficult. He knows that self-denial can be very painful. It's like a branch being pruned off with a pruning knife. And when the pruning knife gets into your flesh, that can be very, very painful. But Paul knows that this is the way to joy. He knows that pain is the way to joy. Self-denial and cross-bearing are both ways to experiencing the life of paradise. Having those rivers of water flowing in his soul and becoming a tree of life for all those whom the Lord places on his path. And so he delights in not only knowing Jesus in the power of his resurrection, but also knowing Jesus in the fellowship of his suffering. Do you, brothers and sisters, do I? I think it's safe to say that most of us here grew up in Christian homes, probably went to a Christian elementary and a Christian high school, maybe even a Christian university, and there's no lack of knowledge when it concerns the Christian faith. We know about it. But to what extent do we know it? To what extent do we experience the power of the risen Christ surging through our veins, sharing in Jesus' fellowship of love and Jesus' ministry of love? To what extent do we experience that through faith we have tapped into paradise regained and the rivers of paradise begin to make our lives a garden of Eden 
and we begin to make the lives of others a garden of Eden as well. When we touch them with our paradise-like lives. To what extent do we have a story to tell? To what extent are we people with a one-track mind, zealous? You know, there's a little test. What do you talk about? What do I talk about? When's the last time I talked about how great it was to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection? When was the last time that I shared with someone that it was good for me that the Lord pruned me, put a cross upon me, and that through self-denial I entered into the life of paradise? Painful at first, joyful at last. What, What did we talk about? Would you like to know it? Burke and Marianne, would you like Ben to know this? Paul and Leslie, would you like Terence Shinoak to know this? The power of Jesus in his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him unto his death? Pray. Pray, pray for your children and pray for yourself. Pray earnestly, unceasingly, as the Catechism says, because God will give His grace and His Holy Spirit to all those who unceasingly ask Him for these gifts. Pray. Believe. Have faith. Be receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit. Trust that through faith you are umbilically connected to the resurrected and glorified Jesus. It's an invisible reality. Trust that that is just as much true as when you eat the bread and drink the wine at communion. That Jesus really nourishes you with his own life through faith, through the umbilical cord of the Holy Spirit. You have to believe that. You put all your eggs in that basket. Thirdly, Believe. I mean, thirdly, obey. The proof is in the pudding. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Live by grace, not by works. Live in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You know what? You will experience this. Your life will never be the same again. And one day, you'll join the Apostle Paul in the resurrection from the dead. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.